welcome to Psychology of the Bible. I'm David here with uh, Ed Tarot, and we are once again in a conversation regarding what it looks like for us to live human lives in, I guess, in light of or through the filter of uh, the scriptures. And so uh, Ed and I are here once again talking about um, kind of the beginning of the Bible. If you remember last week, we, we jumped in, or last episode, I guess, we jumped into Genesis, and, and we're hanging out there again. Ed, man, it's good to see you and talk to you again. Absolutely, David. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, we got to talk about Adam and Eve last time, and we're going to be talking a tiny bit more about Adam and Eve and transitioning into the story of Cain and Abel. And uh, I will warn our listeners, we'll be talking a fair bit about death, but we'll be doing it in a way that highlights how God uses death as a tool for redemption. So it doesn't need to be a morbid conversation in order to be about death, but it is going to be a For sure. But it is interesting to, to note how quickly death is kind of introduced into the scriptures. You know, we kind of start with Genesis and the creation of life and, and every good thing. And, you know, God is speaking things into existence and creates mankind. And for a minute, we have like this utopia where everybody's happy and uh, naming animals, running around naked. And it's like, man, just within a few chapters, all of a sudden, kind of, we, we hit a wall and, and, and death is introduced pretty quickly. Yeah, I think that the Bible here is emphasizing the thematic concept of death as a direct consequence of the fall. There's, there's the story of the fall, of the, the sin of Adam and Eve, and then immediately after that we have actually several stories about death. Um, and the, I think the big one we're talking about today is Adam and Eve leading into uh, Cain and Abel and the murder that takes place there. And really, I mean, this this theme of death and life and redemption and grace, I mean, we find that theme thread throughout the entire scriptures, Genesis to Revelation. It's just introduced so quickly that, you know, maybe for a first time reader or somebody just being introduced to the scriptures, I mean, death is introduced fast. But I think there's a reason. And, and, and the main reason is because death is such a huge part of our life uh, that it's introduced really quickly to say, hey, this is this is just a natural part of life and it's hard. And it's beautiful and if we can learn how to uh, work within it and figure it out then um, then we'll learn from it and grow from it and and we can appreciate life because of death um, and that to me ends up being kind of a, a the beautiful side of death is hey there's death makes us appreciate life amen amen and and uh death is part of god's plan for redemption including the the uh, death of his own son you know, and so it's something that God made himself susceptible to for, the, for our sake. And so uh, though it is tragic and sad, it is something that God still has total power over. And we should uh, remember to think of it in that light. Um, with that said, uh, getting back to life now, uh, I, I want to jump in real quickly at the, the last few verses of the um, Adam and Eve story as they're getting kicked out of the Garden of Eden. In Genesis uh, 3, 22 through 24, there's an emphasis on God being concerned about Adam and Eve not eating from the tree of life. He's like, I can't let that happen. And uh, it's, it's a very fascinating little chunk of scripture. Uh, and it happens just before the Cain and Abel story. And I, the, the scripture does not directly tell us why God didn't want them to eat from the tree of life. And so I, I do want to admit that what I'm about to say about this is my own speculation. And I don't want to sound, I don't want to talk above my pay grade here, you know. Um, sure. but, but with that disclaimer thrown out there, um, the reason this issue is important to me is because I know there are people outside the Christian faith who will look at this, this chunk of verses where God is saying, hey, don't let them eat from the tree of life as 
uh, as an excuse to criticize Christianity, as a, an excuse to say, yeah. oh, look at this God, he sounds uh, selfish or insecure in his power. Very much how the gods of other religions are. You see that in the Greek gods, the Roman gods a lot, very capricious, very insecure and selfish. Um, and so there, there are scholars, secular scholars, who would look at this and see God in that light. And I think they're wrong. Uh, and, and I would make the case in light of biblical theology that uh, again, this is my own speculation, that perhaps God's motive for denying the tree of life to them was his own plan to use death as a means for redemption, right? yeah. it, including, as we've noted, the death of himself and his own son, because this is a triune God, so they're one and the same. Uh, you know, And so God is setting the stage for that to happen. And it, it could even be that uh, death was was a necessary part of that because if Adam and Eve, now that they're living in sin, had somehow lived forever, hypothetically, that means they would live forever in sin, which actually sounds an awful lot like hell, you know, if you think about it. Again, that's that's a bit of speculation on my part, but... But I do, I, did, I don't think you're wrong and I don't disagree in any way. Uh, and I do think we talked a little bit about this in an episode, maybe on death. It seems like I remember us having a little bit of this conversation, but I think from the very beginning of, of human history, God was setting up a precedence that you cannot just come to him any way you want, anytime you want, any way you want. There's going to be, there's going to be some parameters. There's going to be some regulation. Um, and, and, and we look at the regulation as limited when God has shown us that these limitations are to show us that we're actually free. So Adam and Eve were free to do anything they want. The focus was in on the tree that they couldn't eat from. Um, and, and really there's a generous amount of freedom there. Uh, and Christ was given us that option to show us that we're free. Amen. Amen. Um, and that's, uh, that, that's really interesting. It's also worthwhile pointing out the significance of the tree, you know? Um, why was it a tree of life? And why, you know, this, this uh, importance of tree symbolism is there throughout the Bible because throughout the rest of the Bible, after the tree of life is denied to humanity, trees are often used as being symbolic of death. Uh, we see this in a verse of De Deuteronomy where it's talking about how to condemn people who have done really evil things. And it's like, well, those who deserve... Uh, death should be hung on a tree after they're dead. And it, it's, it's a pretty, you know, ugly, dire thing to say, but it is commanded in the Old Testament. And some scholars see that as being prophetic of Christ's eventual death, because being hung on a tree is then spoken about in the New Testament as specifically how they describe the death of Christ. Remember, he was hung on a cross, which is made of wood, which is a tree. And so we hear verses, uh, both Peter and Paul refer to Christ's death as Christ hanging on a tree, and even refer back to that verse in Deuteronomy and compare Christ's death to being, you know, uh, taking on the curse of humanity by being hung on a tree, right? Um, we see this, uh, 1 Peter 2, 24, uh, he, he talks about, he, Jesus says, bearing our sins in his own body on the tree. Um, and, uh, and then there's a verse uh, in Galatians from Paul that says something very similar to that. Uh, for some reason I've lost the moments, but I know it is found in Galatians 3, uh, verses 13 through 14. And uh, very, again, similar language of significance of Christ dying on a tree. Again, I think this all does tie back to the tree of life being intentionally denied so that God can use death, the painful tragedy of death, 
as a transformative state where he brings about the redemption of humans. In a tree in general, like I'm, I'm looking out my window now, there's multiple trees. They're not physically dead. Like I hope they're not dead. They're, they're large trees that have been growing for a long time. However, I could see, you know, dead leaves still on a few that haven't blown out. Yeah. Um, but by and large, they're, you know, all the leaves have died and fallen. I had to rake them and, and mow over them. But I know there's life coming. And I think that's the beautiful metaphor in, in really the cross is, yes, it's death, but death is bringing life. It's dying so that something new can come to life. And so, I mean, yeah, trees in general kind of give you this, this overarching metaphor for how life works. Things go away so that something new can come. Um, and yeah, I think you're spot on with this idea that the cross and the, and the tree represents death, but it, it also brings us back around to uh, grace and redemption in life. Um, and it's beautiful. Yeah, amen. And so with that said, we, we would do well to now dive into Cain and Abel, I think, um, because it is absolutely a story of death. And I think people who hear me say that think I'm going to talk right away about how Cain murdered Abel. Um, and actually, there, there's an important death that takes place before. Cain murders Abel. There is the sacrifice, right? Um, very important story, uh, and sometimes a puzzling story for some people, uh, where we have this story of Cain and Abel, the first two sons of Adam and Eve, showing up uh, at a sacrificial meeting with God where they're both bringing something to the altar, right? Abel brings a lamb that he has, and it's like the best lamb of his flock that he has sacrificed, and, and it is now dead on the altar, right? Uh, and Cain brings vegetables. It doesn't say how many vegetables or of what quality. So it's hard to quantify, hey, if there were a dollar value to this or something like that, which one would be worth more? Uh, so we don't know exactly what's going on here, but we do know that God strongly prefers Abel's sacrifice over Cain's. And, yeah. and again, this is one of those moments where, since the Bible doesn't specifically state why God prefers it, I, I want to note that what I'm about to say is my own speculation. And once again, I'm trying not to talk above my pay grade, but still share this yeah. um, and say that, that in regards to the way the Bible presents God to us, I, I personally believe that he is preferring Abel's sacrifice because it is a loss of life. It involves the death of a lamb, which very much validates suffering and sacrifice, which also in turn validates this is the depth of our depravity, of our lostness as human beings, that, uh, that something needs to die in order for us to be able to have relationship with God again. Um, we also see this later in the New Testament, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, about when, when Christ talked about the importance of dying to ourselves. You know, he didn't say, come join me on the magical journey of life. He said, take up your cross and follow me you know there's a, an element of sacrifice involved very early in um, in the call to salvation and i would almost back up and and ask and and it's a rhetorical question though i'm curious what you would think how how do you think that cain knew his offering wasn't accepted because again like that's not stated explicitly in scripture how do you think he knew it wasn't accepted yeah yeah it's interesting it says god uh, I'd have to pull up the exacts. Yeah, I, I can't. Yeah, if you can pull it up quicker than I can, that'd be fine. It seems like he looked despondent upon him or something like that. Yeah, but it's interesting to note. Were, uh, I think, but for Cain, his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And so what, what the scriptures say are no regard, right? Meaning 
God didn't have disdain for it. God didn't, you know, condemn him for it. God, God didn't say, you know, you really blew it here, Cain. He, he showed preference and regard for Cain's sacrifice. I mean, for Abel's sacrifice, which, which means, which means the main issue here is not that Cain, you know, got kicked to the curb by God somehow, which he didn't. Uh, it, it's the issue that Cain is furious with envy. You know, he's got pride and envy going on. You know, he didn't get, you know, he, he didn't give a sacrifice that symbolized what God was going for here. Like, hey, we, we're really messed up and it's going to take something serious to set things right again, which is symbolized there in Abel's sacrifice. And God's like, yeah, Abel's got it. We don't hear God condemning or belittling Cain at all, though we do hear Cain reacting very, very strongly to the fact that God paid a big compliment to his younger brother, but not to him. Right. Well, and, and I think once again, the scriptures are reinforcing this idea that you cannot come to God any way that you want. Uh, Abel brings, I think it says the fat portion and the firstborn. So he's bringing the best and the first uh, and, and Cain simply shows up mm. with something. And and there God is saying, hey, I'm setting things up for Jesus to come. You can only come to me one way. You can't come to me any way that you want to. Um, you know, I'm not, if, if he'd accepted Cain's offering, it would have stopped a, a long history of violence and hatred and, and pain and suffering for a lot of people. However, God knew if he accepted Cain's offering, which was not his best, he would be settling and God was not going to settle. He didn't settle in the garden. He wasn't going to settle, uh, with, with Cain and Abel. And so I do think there's something powerful there about Yes, we come to God and and we bring him our best. Um, we can't just come to God flippantly with anything that we want. God does have a standard in which we are to to live by. And uh, and so he was setting he's setting things up. And and yeah, his response was more powerful than God's. I think Cain could have self-corrected really quickly. He could have said, Oh, I'm so sorry, you know, let me let me figure this out and I'll bring something back. Uh, but his response showed, like you said, pride and, and, and bitterness uh, towards towards God and maybe his brother as well. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of our episode on anger and how we looked at those verses in the Bible that say, be angry and do not sin, right? As in, and it talks about pondering your own struggle on your bed, as in, be angry, as in, wrestle with those difficult emotions, process through it. You know, if Cain had just wanted to go for a long walk by himself and really, you know, even fume a bit about it and, and, and work through it, uh, it, it would have been a very different story, you know? But Cain, Cain chose, instead of wrestling with uh, a healthy anger that helps us process through some of our own need for growth, need for redemption, instead, he just acts out of his own pride and arrogance, right? And so you could say the problem with Cain here is that he didn't get angry. The problem is he murdered, right? And people can commit murder without anger being involved. They absolutely can. They can do it out of pride, do it out of malevolence, without getting stirred up and angry. And his actions and his response show us his heart behind the sacrifice. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's not necessarily what you give or what you bring or what you do, but why you do it. And his heart afterwards, his response showed us his heart was not in the right place. He was merely showing up to do something for God, maybe out of obligation or uh, simply just to get it off his, his plate. You know, he, his heart was not in the right place. And I, I think many times God looks at our heart 
uh, you know, more than anything else. We see that in the widow's might, you know, when she gives less than most people, but she gave all she had. And, you know, we see that the heart is what really matters almost more well, more than than anything else. Uh, and we see that Abel's heart was in the right place. He was doing the best that he could. Um, and, and, and Cain was merely showing up. There was little to no sacrifice and there was some hatred and bitterness in his heart. Um, and, and, and God responded appropriately. Yeah, and you could say their sacrifices were very indicative of their hearts. You know, here Abel was saying, I recognize that my problem and the human problem of selfishness and depravity are so severe that something needs to die. Um, and, and this is, you know, also then foreshadowing of God's own death as the final act of atonement. And God saw that and said, yeah, this guy's getting it. I celebrate that. Abel, you've got the right idea. Yeah, this is this is a good moment of sanctification going on here, and uh, and Cain didn't, and and that's indicative of his own heart that he was a bit more lost in his own uh, pride, his own selfishness, which we then see escalating to an even higher level when he does actually commit murder. Um, and and I think we do this ourselves. We'll come. We'll maybe you know we'll attend church because we know it's culturally appropriate or we need to be seen. We may enter into worship and how, whatever manner that looks like in your spaces, you know, singing songs or clapping or whatever, but our hearts aren't in it. We may give of tithes and offerings, but we're doing so to be seen or out of obligation. Like our heart's motivation is so much more important than, um, than what transpires. If our heart's in the right place, then the offering that we give, the sacrifice that we make will be received. Uh, we see that, um, I think the response that God says uh, in that passage is, uh, if you do what is right, won't it be accepted? And it was an honest question. I think it's a I think it's exact quote or near quote. Uh, but I think it's an honest question that that God's asking Cain. Hey, if if you did what was right, wouldn't wouldn't that be accepted? Like you knew this. And, and I tell my kids this all, quite often when they've done something wrong. I'm like, hey, if you did if you did something right, like wouldn't things be better? Wouldn't things have been different? Uh, and 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 we know we know right from wrong. Um, Cain was culturally uh, most likely brought up and taught what was appropriate and how to come to God and what the sacrifice should look like. Um, and, and so he had to have known. Yeah. And that's why God's asking, hey, had you have done right, wouldn't that have been accepted? Amen. This is meant to be a teaching moment for Cain. It is not something. Yeah. And for all yeah. of us, it's a teaching moment for all of us throughout human history. Yeah. There's no need to feel belittled or kicked to the curb in a teaching moment. You know, uh, there's another passage somewhere in the Bible where God talks about how uh, he prunes those he loves but the, those that are not loved are just useless and thrown into the fire. And so if we're getting pruned or receiving correction from God, it's, it's because he loves us and has a plan for us. He wants us to bear greater fruit in our lives. He doesn't want us to settle for something that's significantly less than the good plan he has for us. Um, with all that said, I, I do think you're onto something here that we all have our own ways sometimes of, of laying vegetables on the altar. You know, it, it's not just a cane problem, it's a human problem. Um, I, I think in past episodes, we've talked a lot about the concept of emotional legalism and how people, uh, e even within the Christian faith, can be overly shackled to happiness. Hey, just be happy. And if you're happy, you're holy. We see this in the health and wealth yeah. gospel. We even see this elsewhere in the church, like this preoccupation with you should be happy. And if you're not happy, there's something wrong with you. And that, yes. that's a vegetables on the altar fallacy. That's saying, hey, this, the, this concept that something needs to die an awful death as part of God's plan. No, 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 we don't want that. We, you know, if somebody's suffering, there's something wrong with them, just get over it. Uh, and 
all of that is, is vegetables on the altar. It's indicative of human pride, human denial of the necessity of suffering as part of God's plan. And when we see somebody suffering in church, we should be quicker to, you know, love them and bear with their burdens as we're commanded to in scripture, right? Which, yeah. you know, is closer to Abel's mentality here. But all too often we fall into Cain's mentality of just kind of laying vegetables on the altar. We also see this in times of uh, conflict. If you've ever been in uh, a tough moment with somebody and tr you're trying to resolve it, you offer an apology for where you, what you can own and then they say something like, well, I'm, I'm sorry you feel that way or I'm sorry you can't get over it. It's not an apology, it's a backhanded insult and it's a way for them to lay vegetables on the altar. You know, for them to say, I don't wanna actually die to my own ego, die to myself. I'm still just going to blame this on you. And uh, in, in that whole mentality, whether it's our pride and judgmentalism one another or fake apologies rather than real repentance, it all undermines the importance of suffering and sacrifice as part of God's plan. It, it all goes to Well, we see, this, we see this with kids a lot, you know, when you say, hey, go apologize to your brother, you know, and they walk up and go, oh, I'm sorry, yeah, you, know? Like and, and that, thing. you know. And they roll their eyes as it, they're saying it, you know. Exactly. That's that vegetables on the altar. That's doing things because you've been told to do them or because you feel obligated or responsible to do it, but you don't want to do it. And again, it's the heart motivation that drives and determines um, appropriate actions. And if you do what's right, want to be accepted. And so I, I think it's beautiful that God gives Cain another opportunity. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's literally here saying, hey, if you just did what's right, you know, wouldn't it be accepted? And and, and I think God, you know, is it's as much as we like to say, well, he shouldn't have done that to, to them. He shouldn't have put the tree in the garden. He shouldn't have put the, the bar too high or whatever. God continues to give us grace and mercy to respond appropriately, but he's not going to control our response. He's not going to dictate how we respond. Gives us the, you know, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, God does kind of have this fatherly conversation with Cain saying, hey, if you've done what's right, hey, just learn from this and you'll get it right next time. Yep. You know, there's always another chance here, buddy. You know? But our response in that moment, as you were saying, is is essential. It's critical. Can we then bounce back from our mistakes and respond with, man, God, I'm sorry. How can we do that? How can I make this right? Like, I need to do what's well. Or is our response going to be kind of a, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. You know, is it just going to be a whatever? Uh, kind of try to move on from it. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of us get that opportunity. Waving, the eye rolling. Right. Yeah. All of that is vegetables on the altar. So in the context of church, when we talk about, you know, forgiveness and we talk about, you know, seeking forgiveness and repentance, um, you know, repentance and forgiveness by definition mean to turn the opposite direction and go the other way. And so much of our lives are spent kind of hanging out in that that mistake or that sin and not actually turning and walking away from it. And again, that's that's just vegetables on the altar, as, as you've coined. <laughs> you know, that's us just saying, all right, I'm sorry, uh, but I'm not actually willing to sacrifice enough to walk away from it and, and go towards the right direction. Sure. We're not willing to actually make changes. Right. Which is right. the sacrifice. I mean, that's the hard work. That is the that is the hard work that so many people are not willing to do. It's easier in, in, in our eyes in the middle of sin or in the middle of wrongdoing or mistakes to just stay there than it is to actually self-correct. Um, and, and it's humbling. Like Cain would have had to humble himself uh, and probably it, it, for sure in front of God, most likely in front of his brother and go, yeah, that was right. That was that was a mistake. You know, let's make this right. But our pride, especially in front of each other, you know, says, no, I'm going to double down on this one. And uh, that doesn't work out. Yeah, yeah. 
and uh, and and we see Kane very much doubling down on his own pride um, because when he he lures Abel into the field, which already this is first degree murder. This is not second degree, you know, height of passion. This is like he planned this out ahead of time. You know, that, that's a very prideful uh, way to go about it. He's very much engineering this situation where he gets to kill Abel. Um, it's also worth noting. Abel doesn't really even have a single line in scripture. He doesn't get to speak a single word out loud. I mean, scripture implies maybe that that happened, but it's not something that's recorded in the Bible. And so it's not like Abel was insulting Cain or, or egging him on in any way. Uh, and, and Cain's decision to murder Abel was really a way of lashing out against God. You know, because it was God. It, the, the entire dialogue was between God and Cain. This whole story is an extensive dialogue between God and Cain. And, and Abel, tragically, is a, a very relatively minor role, yeah. you know, and he doesn't even, you know, if, he, if these were play actors on the stage, Abel doesn't even get a single line, yep. you know? Um, and and so, ah, you know, as he's being killed or anything. No, no. <laughs> maybe screamed out, I'm sure. But don't do it. Or, uh, or whatever. No. His, his life is tragically cut short yeah. um, and by, by a prideful, malevolent actor in Cain. And um, I, I think it's just worth noting that, that there's no excuse for what Cain did. Yeah. It was well, in this one moment where he brings the vegetables to the altar, he makes a mistake. God right. gave him the opportunity to self-correct. And because he did not self-correct, it led to a lot of other mistakes that were considerably worse. And I think that's more often than not how sin goes. We do, or, you know, even if it's not sin, if it's just a mistake or a wrongdoing, if we're not quick to self-correct, if we're not quick to repent and turn the other direction, it ends up leading us into bigger problems, deeper stuff that is harder to come back from. Nothing's impossible, but it does lead us down a road that we never imagined we travel. And I think that's where a lot of a lot of us end up. I know I've been there many times in my life where I'm like, how did I get here? You know, how did I get to this place in my life where, you know, I never thought I would be. It didn't plot it out or plan it, but I just simply kept a hard heart and, and a prideful mindset. And, and it led me down a path I never, never imagined I'd go. And, and that leads to death, ultimately, whether it's spiritual or physical. I mean, it's, it leads to death. So I think as, as people, we have to be really quick to catch you know, God's, um, his correction when, when he calls us out on our mistakes, or it could be outright sin, we've got to be quick to, to say, yeah, 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 you're right. I'm sorry. I'm going to go the opposite direction. I'm going to go get the, the fat portion and the firstborn instead of the vegetables and prevent a, a whole line. I mean, you look through Cain's lineage, it was, it's, you know, it's not a great lineage. Um, there's mm -hmm. a long line of, of problems. You know, we could prevent that if we'll just self-correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, it's also worth noting that even after Cain's sin, God still protects him with the mark of Cain. Yeah. Um, it's like how God protected Adam and Eve with clothing when he kicked them out of the Garden of Eden. Uh, you know, God shows his unconditional love uh, in these m tragic moments that even as he's applying consequences, he still shows love and protection. You know, in the dialogue, Cain is uh, rightfully acknowledging, hey, you know, by casting me away from you, I'll be isolated. I'll be out there. Someone could just come along and kill me. Uh, you know, what's to stop them from doing it? And, you know, he's rightfully concerned that he can't live yeah. apart from God and he's getting yeah. cast out. And God said, you know, you're right. That is an issue. And I, I, I will protect you by putting a mark on you. 
And so it's, uh, it, you know, the mark of Cain is not a curse. It's a protective, it's really a blessing, yeah. you know. And that speaks blessing. more of God than it does us. I mean, that just speaks of God's grace and his goodness to where even in our worst moments, I mean, I, I think Cain killing Abel was probably the worst moment of his life. Even in his worst moment, God is still there. Uh, mm -hmm. Give him grace and mercy, and and once again another opportunity to self correct, to turn back around, and um, to make the sacrifice. Um, so yeah, God mm -hmm. God doesn't leave us or abandon us or you know have us fend for ourselves. He's there, still guiding, still protecting, still loving. Uh, but but we have to be willing to soften our hearts in order to see it, and hear it. And there's a lesson for all of us also in in the double mindedness we see in Cain. Uh, Double-mindedness is in, first, he's being prideful and say, hey, there shouldn't be, you know, death and suffering and bloodshed involved on the altar. Let me just put some vegetables there. This very, like, you know, happy sugar coating of sanctification. Uh, and then when that gets, uh, you know, that, that gets used as a learning lesson for him, yeah. he, he hates it so much that he goes all the way to the other extreme of murdering his own brother. Yeah. Right. And, and this is not just a Cain issue, this is a humanity issue. That when we lean into our own pride and try to deny the importance of confession, of repentance, of lament, of dying to ourselves and, and truly depending upon God for our salvation, when we deny that, it does manifest in the other extreme over there, which is murder in the fields. And maybe we don't physically murder one another, but we murder each other with our judgmental language, with gossip, with put downs. Um, you know, uh, you know, Christ made it very clear in his Sermon on the Mount that, you know, murder isn't just a physical thing, that, the, that we murder each other in our hearts, and that is still murder in the eyes of God. Same with lust, adultery, all of that. Yeah, it starts, starts yeah. in our hearts. Yeah, and so that's, you know, I, a catchphrase to take it a step further that I, I'm trying to explore here is uh, when there's vegetables on the altar, there's murder in the fields. Mm -hmm. You know, when we're pridefully uh, steering clear of repentance and lament and confession, it, we're, we're indulging in this dangerous, prideful, self-righteous mindset, which really makes us very easy to fall into the temptation of murdering others. And again, yeah. maybe not physically, but with our words, with our hearts, with the way we're treating and regarding one another. And um, that's still murder in God's eyes. And it's something we can all fall into. Cain is not just one bad egg. He's, he's very much a human story of, of our own depravity. Yeah, regardless of the level, it could be severe as as physical murder or, you know, something as lesser as, you know, our own sin. But no doubt he he um, is reflective of, of the human condition. And, and I think it's interesting to note, and I'm kind of thinking through this out loud, so uh, bear with me. But it's interesting to note that, that Cain, even in this moment of anger, even in this moment of, or, you know, plotted uh, murder, you know, he may not have been physically angry, but even in this moment where he murders and is and we know is angry at God. He's still willing to accept God's protection, even asking for it. You know, uh, so I think it's interesting to note that he's he's taking this mark and and wanting God's protection, but he didn't really want to make the effort to make the sacrifice. So essentially, I mean, and this is what I'm thinking out loud. He's he's really accepting God's God's second best, like that God's best for his life was for him to bring the sacrifice, to do the right thing the first time, and to live in communion with Him as Abel would have. Uh, but instead he went the other way, still being protective of God, but really not in, in God's, I would imagine God's perfect will, but, but in what's second best. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and 
His double-mindedness um, ties us back into previous discussions we've had about the human brain too, where I've talked about the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous systems. That the that in the parasympathetic nervous system is where we do our, a lot of our higher, more admirable thinking, but that's also where our pride resides. That's where our own like inner Pharisee resides, and and so human beings are prone to double-mindedness, much like Cain was, because we kind of have two brains anatomically. Uh, we, we have the parasympathetic nervous system, which you know is where a lot of our pride and also a lot of our more admirable abilities lie. And then the sympathetic nervous system, which is where more of our anger and fear resides, more of our pure emotional, uh, almost you know, the kind of states that are more similar to those of an animal. Um, and that's where those resides are, are more in the sympathetic nervous system. And the truth is, if we try to just invalidate one of those and, and go with the other, we end up becoming double-minded because the other one is still there. We're just living in denial of it, right? And so if we get overly preoccupied with our anger, we're living too much in our sympathetic nervous system. And over there is our pride running unchecked in the background in our parasympathetic. If we get too caught up in our pride, which is what pride we see in Cain laying vegetables on the altar, you know, we, we live in denial of the other half of our brain, which in the midst of that prideful denial then wants to run amok. And this is what happens with Cain. You know, he's hypothetically speaking, very much showing the parasympathetic nervous system by saying, hey, let's just be happy and listen vegetables on the altar. Come on, guys, let's just get over this stuff. Big sacrifice. Ooh, you know, let's not do all that. And, and that's very, very much like I think the human parasympathetic nervous system running unchecked there. And then he goes all the way over to the other extreme where we see him committing murder. And I would say that may be his sympathetic nervous system running unchecked. And I think the reason we are all prone to double-mindedness is because we have two brains and apart from a humble willingness to confess uh, and lament, we are prone to have two separate minds that we bounce back and forth between. But the beautiful thing about lament and confession and even heartfelt prayers and willingness to engage suffering is it encourages a dialogue between those two parts of the brain, between the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system, where even though we have two brains, we can still have one mind by encouraging an inner dialogue between them, where we are honest about ourselves, honest about our depravity, honest about our emotional needs. And when we have that, we become of one mind in ourselves because we're being honest with both parts of our brain and encouraging an inner dialogue and interconnection between them within ourselves. That's good. Yeah. You know, recognizing that that's there helps us navigate maybe the voices that, you know, not physical voices, but, you know, kind of the inner narrative that we're say hearing and kind of, you know, cause there's always that one side that says, Hey, let's just go kill, you know, Abel, you know, and, and we all kind of hear that voice. There's always that kind of side, that devil on our shoulder, but kind of recognizing that it's there helps us, I guess, navigate which voice we want to listen to, which side of the brain we need to tap into in order to, to, um, to do what, what God has asked of us to do. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times what God asks us to do is not easy. Yeah. It's not easy to lay the lamb on the altar or to lay our ego on the altar. It's difficult, but it is certainly possible, especially by the grace of God. It becomes possible. And I would argue that, you know, and we don't really look or think this way most often, but I would argue that it is considerably easier 
than the other side. Like for Kane, it would have been a whole lot easier for him just to have done the work on the front end and made the right sacrifice, getting this, get his heart in the right place than it would have been to have gone through everything that he went through, you know, with his descendants and, and, and all the, and all the stuff that happens after his life would have been a whole lot easier. It would have been a whole lot easier for Adam and Eve, you know, if Eve had just never, she just had some self-control, not have touched the fruit. Like, yes, what God's asking of us is, is not always easy, but it's always easier than the opposite. And again, I tell my kids this all the time, you know, doing the right thing uh, is always easier than doing the wrong thing and then having to lie about it, cover it up, hide it, manipulate, and then, you know, maybe get caught. And then the consequences of that, like it may be difficult to sacrifice, but it's a whole lot easier in the long run. Right. It kind of partially boils down to long-term versus short-term thinking. Cause the problem with sin and with what happened with Cain and Adam and Eve is in, in the long term, it is absolutely easier and more beneficial to obey God, obviously. But the short-term uh, appeal of sin is that in the short term, if you're not looking at all the consequences down the line, it's easier to sin. It's easier to throw vegetables on the altar. It's lazy, you know, or if somebody's an addict, an addict, it's easier to take their drink or take their drug than to do the hard work of staying away from it. But their life will be a lot better in the long run. You're right. Uh, in obedience. And, and a lot and of people for a lot of different reasons. Does, yeah. Boil down to our own impulsive desire for instant gratification and to do the short-term here and now easy thing, which yields tragically difficult uh, consequences in the long run. So I do agree with you long run. Sure. You use the word easier, but uh, in the short term, the temptation of sin is that it will always look like the easier, happier road for the here and now impulsive moment. And in the long run that it bites you yeah and and for various reasons you know people can't think long term there's chemical you know imbalances or there's uh you know maybe immaturity or whatever you know where they they physically can't think long term uh but then there's cultural things that cause us to live in the moment and live in the the immediate and do what feels you know right in the time um and and so i think that's why we have to kind of fight these sort of cultural and even um you know, maybe biological or medical uh, things in our lives that cause us to not be able to see long-term because we do make a lot of rash decisions that end up affecting us um, just practically uh, because we can't think that way. And Cain's just one, one example of many in scripture where, you know, we see just a rash, quick in the moment decision that, that it would have been a whole lot easier for them. Like, you know, you, Jonah is another example. Would have been a lot easier for Jonah just to go on to Nineveh, uh, you know, or on and on. Um, just make the right decision, do what's right. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. it would cause a lot, a lot less pain and, and hurt long-term. And we look at that in our own lives. I can look back and go, man, if I'd only just said this different, or if I'd only just done this different, then it would have, you know, prevented a chain of reactions that uh, are adverse. And so, uh, it, it's hard. It's hard for us to think that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's hard to, for us to work that way because change does require work. Um, I, I think of when I think of like the work Cain would have had to do to, to learn, you know, he would have had to walk away from that altar, realize that he had the whole wrong mindset, that, that a, a part of his whole philosophy is something that needed to die. Right. And I, I think this is where, and I, I say this very cautiously as a therapist, but you know, we really demonize depression as something bad, but I think a mild depression, now there are major clinical depressions that we do need to be more concerned about. There are mild depressional states that anybody can have that are more like transitional moments. 
It's more like I feel sad. I feel despondent. Sometimes with some of my clients who are struggling with a mild depression, I say, well, if there was a road that just was filled with potholes and had all kinds of issues, we would want to repave it. But in order to repave it, we'd have to shut it down, right? And certain neurological pathways in our brain need to be shut down so our brain can do work on them, right? And a lot of that work comes with what? Like big tools and bulldozers and jackhammers and whatnot. Okay, that's kind of the anger, right? Of the work being done internally in the brain. This is why a mild depression nor, nor a bit of anger mixed in with it are necessarily bad things. I think neurologically, there are brain doing the work of, of transforming itself. Um, and that can be healthy. And I, again, I don't say this about major depression, which is a lot scarier and needs uh, more intervention, but, but we, we shouldn't be too quick to run away from mild depression with pills or with, you know, something that will just make the pain go away. Sometimes it's wiser to just lean into the suffering and say, I think this is a season of my life where, you know, much like a tree in the winter, I need to drop my leaves and trust in God that there's life yet to come. But I, I will use this as a time to, to ponder my own life, God's plan for me, you know, what, what do I need to change? Where do I feel hurt? Where have I been hurt? And in these mild depression states, we can have a lot of growth. They can be, they, they're dark, but they're like a dark soil. They're, they're rich with fertile nutrients, you know? And so a mild depression and a bit of anger can be a lot like a very dark soil that's rich with like stuff that will nourish us in the long term. Well, in the human brain, tends to be lazy it runs the pathway that's been created and kind yeah. of like a broken record so yeah. you know for for kane you know that could have been a broken record for him we don't know but you know that could have been a natural response to any time god didn't accept something was just anger and outburst and and you know we see this in our lives we see, see this in my kids lives where there's just a I can say this and I know this is what's going to happen because the human brain tends to just kind of replay that same pathway. And though we can, we're capable of creating new neural pathways, we tend to just find it easier to go down the same path, say the same things, the same rhetoric uh, that always gets us in trouble. And like you said, shutting that down and, and, and rebuilding and restoring tends to be maybe the most beneficial. And I would argue medication is capable of helping us kind of get some peace in our mind so that we can uh, start to repair, but I see what you're saying. You don't want to just keep numbing that and ignoring that it's broken, recognizing that pathway is not the appropriate pathway to keep going down because it keeps getting us in the place we don't want to be, uh, and trying to allow, you know, I would, I would say that through scripture and through, you know, meditation and, uh, on, on God that we create these new neural pathways that help lead us to right decisions and, um, and right thinking and right response when we, when we don't do what is right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you said that about medication because I'm not trying to knock or bash medication. Yeah. I, and I, I knew I'm you wouldn't. I'm skeptical of it because we live in a very pill happy culture where the pharmaceutical industry really runs the show. Um, and I, I do have certain concerns about that as a therapist, but there's certainly time and a place for it still. And, uh, and anybody who feels the need to rely on it, I would not want them to feel any shame about yeah. it. And I don't think you came across that way, but there are times when medication is the only way that we can get some rest in our minds so that we can shut down those pathways and, and, and rebuild. But then just like alcohol or sex or whatever, they, it can tend to become kind of a coping mechanism to something that we just kind of default to. So we have to be very, very careful with, with medicine specifically. Uh, but anyway, my, my point really was that, you know, we run this sort of broken record, um, 
kind of behavior a lot of times because our brains do tend to want to run what's familiar and do what's familiar. And if what's familiar is, you know, lashing out or being angry or puffing up in pride, then we kind of immediately, that's our go-to default response. And, and that's not, that's, that's something we have to work on. And that's tough. It's tough to break out of that, that sort of habit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We maybe cannot break habits of our own will. You know, humans are naturally uh, enslaved to our own selfish, prideful will. And those habits are just manifestations of that. So it takes God's love and love with one another. Um, and love is bigger than just something we can show for somebody, what they can show for us. It, it manifests as a spiritual presence because scripture teaches us that God is love. So this is where we come back to relationships. You know, I mean, Cain could have invited Abel into a field to say, can we talk about what just happened? Because it really stirred me up. And, and I, you know, we just need to process through it. And they could have had a heartfelt conversation about it. And it could have been a beautiful thing, you know, but he, he chose to eliminate that possibility by murdering. But the beautiful thing is his life is a lesson for us to try to make the sacrifice at first on the front end, do what is right. Yes. Amen. Let's learn from Cain's mistake in light of the fact that we can all fall into a similar temptation of laying vegetables on the altar and then having murder in the fields, you know, leaning too heavy on the parasympathetic prideful nervous system. And then when that gets, uh, has its issues as it will, because it's insufficient on its own, we then go to the double mindedness of then having an inner murder within ourselves. Ah, you know, and, and say, instead, let's, let's lean on a confessional need to learn to obey God in repentance. And with that, form a dialogue within the, our brains and with one another that is more symbolic of love. Yep. Very nice. What a great, uh, what a great conversation on Cain and Abel. Uh, yeah, so much that we can learn just in those few short passages that can help us navigate uh, life, life with God, life with others. Um, and, and it kind of sets us up to understand the scriptures better anyway, as we start seeing how God doesn't accept anything less than the best. And it helps us kind of see how God was setting things up for the introduction of Jesus and his death to the cross and, uh, uh, and on and on. And so it's a, it's a beautiful reminder that we've all got a lot of work to do still in our own lives and minds and yep we got a lot of work to do amen man and i think what we need to do is uh try to learn from abel yep. too and, yep. and be willing to bring the sacrifice of confession repentance and, and of praise and worship too it's just this heartfelt sincere devotion to god this willingness to set aside our own pride lay our egos on the altar lay our, our best of our flock on the altar and say really god you know take my life and make it yours and I feel like Abel was basically saying that maybe the real, real way to avoid being like Cain is to be more like Abel. Yeah. And sometimes we don't need lines. Sometimes we don't need to speak. <laughs> sometimes yeah. we just need to be the character that does the hard work. Yeah. There's a beautiful proverb about that that I remember. It said, uh, where words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. That's good. Yeah. That's Abel good. didn't say a single thing in scripture, and we can learn how much from him. Nope. There's maybe there's a whole uh, maybe the whole podcast of silence coming ahead. <laughs> there you go, man. Solid. Let's just start a whole series of silence. <laughs> keep on going. So yeah, beautiful. <laughs> yeah, be great. Well, thanks so much, Ed, and uh, thanks for those of you listening. And 
uh, we invite you once again just to share and spread and, and, and tag us in posts and, and let people know if there's you found any value in this podcast at all. Let us know so that we can continue to provide and create content that uh, we feel like is beneficial and helpful. Let us know if there's a topic or an issue that you feel like would be worth discussing. Maybe some questions that you've had that you feel like, you know, you just want to know uh, what our opinions would be on. But uh, let us know. You can find us on uh, Facebook and you can find us on Instagram. Uh, I believe it's PSY uh, of the Bible uh, on both of those. So make sure you look us up and let us know uh, what you think. And uh, we look forward to continuing to provide this content and uh, speaking with you soon. So, Ed, thanks so much. And, man, we'll, we'll talk again soon. Yeah. Take care, man.